0: Hi, this is Neopets, a podcast focusing on digital intimacy, memes, and criticism by me, Felix O'Connor, and me, Reg Zayner. On this episode, on brainwashing and minimalism, we talk about the ways that minimalism is perceived in our current culture and how whiteness, social media, and ableism plays a role in it.
1: think we will break down this by talking about information and aesthetics, which we will eventually get into minimalism, which is a form of aesthetics. Increased time on quarantine and the internet, it's not a surprise that information in itself has become an aesthetic. Learning is sexy being smart is sexy so how do you make being smart sexy of course using the instagraphic no the instagram um graphic industrial complex that's the newest and trendiest (laughs) complex that we need to uh really critique i don't think there's been any critiques about that
0: Except for that one uh Twitter thread that you found.
1: Yeah, I retweeted something today that said the same thing. I'm just pulling it up right now. Ooh. Abolish the Instagram infographic complex. And then people were talking about abolishing Canva. Like we per progressed the need for Canva.
0: Man, full disclosure to any of the people who end up listening to this episode in the notes, not at this point, but later on, there is the sentence canva can eat my ass <laughs> yeah See, so yeah, um, when you when you said something about what tweet like something you retweeted today I thought it was going to be the one that's quote Marx's biggest flaw is that he didn't know how to make Instagram infographics communism would have won if he had made an infographic for it
1: oh yeah you did um I did send that to you. That one was really funny, because it's, like, if it wasn't an infographic, did it ever happen?
0: (laughs) At this point, if it wasn't an infographic, it didn't happen, seems to be the way that the narrative is going.
1: I believe it. What if, in the future, they look back, and all they see is infographics? What if nothing survives but infographics? What does that say about our society, or our like, or ourselves as, like, people, but for Instagram graphics, they have to be aesthetic, Um, and talking about aesthetics and how that works online and circulation, if it looks similar to something as a previous um, post, it will be, you know, pushed more by the algorithm, really color contrast, and The kind of hipster, cutesy, you know, queer, soft tender kind of. The tender
0: uh, queer. Yeah, the tender
1: queer, like, aesthetics. That history, like, plays heavily into these heavy concepts. I think back to, like, Instagram when it was, like, 2009 or, like, even 2012, when there was the tender queer poetry revolution, was just, my body is so. Queer, and it's just like oh, uh, now book deals. No, they didn't get book deals. They sold books, and they just made money off of just saying like some random line that wasn't as deep. The Instagram graphic drive, like drives from the aesthetic of Tinder queer, queer, which drives from Tumblr fandom. The aesthetics of Tumblr, it uh, the because I was an aesthetic Tumblr blog, so I know what that like dealio is so there there was even a whole genre of blogs dedicated to aesthetics and I think tumblr was very was kind of like the first social platform that I've seen that had kind of split different types of lifestyles into aesthetics so you know Mm. there was the plant Core aesthetic, there was, there's all different types of stuff. There were the
0: black and white blogs.
1: Yeah, the black and white blogs, you know, how that became itself. This idea of aesthetic became coincided with lifestyle. And now on Twitter, now we have cottage core, how that has echoes of like the 2012 Tumblr era.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting to trace the sort of lineage of Instagram influencer graphics back to tumblr and the way that tumblr was this place in which aesthetics and social discourse were mashed together and have been mashed together for a really long time and i think that a lot of the there's a lot of problems with tumblr political discourse or social discourse and there always has been and there always will be but i think that the way I don't know how how correlated these things are, but the ways that we're seeing people circulate information, but also start discourse and have conversations with one another reminds me of the sort of black hole of Tumblr discourse in, you know, the 2012s. And I think part of that comes from the aestheticization of information, leading people to weaponize that information without necessarily having to understand it or having to have sat with it or Mm -hmm. actually put any of it into practice. But it's very easy when you put, I mean, the whole point of an infographic is to take A large swath of information and break it down to be as digestible as possible. But when you're taking really complex ideas, like talking about prison abolition, like the abolition gradients account, well, very cool in concept, is taking these this very large topic and these very large and dense essays or things that it's citing from. And taking it down into an amount of information that can be read and transmitted on an Instagram post, which can only give you so much.
1: Right. And even bringing in some other conversation of ableism with these graphics, you know, how cool abolition graphics are and these other graphic accounts that have popped up. uh, It's kind of interesting how little disability is being considered or how many of them don't look into how to make accessible graphics and also for dyslexic people too i i have a hard time reading some of these graphics i i just don't know what they say but i think alt text comes very handy and how there is a push for all text, and even at this time with YouTube taking away comment sections, I mean the caption sections on YouTube, even though the caption wasn't the best, it shows that there's little consideration of how aesthetics can play into the roles of disability.
0: Yeah, I think that's really real and something that I think is being ran into more and more as the urge to, you know, we're living in a world now in which so many of us are only interacting with other people through the internet
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and interacting with other people through social media. Also, we're in a moment where people feel very activated to do things, whether that's organizing or education, et cetera. and In doing so, there are a lot of people, and websites like canva.com have made it very easy for people to make graphics, to make these infographics.
1: Okay, but can I throw something in there? How the live-life-love kind of infographic...
0: A live-laugh-love infographic.
1: How that kind of, like, people are now people posting about present abolition using the same type of uh, design framework. And it's like, the live, love love people, they don't, they're not really 100% about that. You know, it's just people who are interested in leftist politics. But it's, I, think there's some type of irony in there you know I'm not trying to laugh at these graphics but it's just like dang you're making uh you know colonialism cute like you know people died
0: <laughs> yeah no there's definitely like well that's I think that's sort of the thing is that well in many ways it's really cool to have a tool that makes graphic design more available or easy for people to do if you don't have like photoshop or something else that you would use as like a graphic designer that at a baseline level is cool but i also think that an important part of graphic design well it is about the actual graphic and what it looks like there's more to an aesthetic than just what it looks like, and it also has to do with the aesthetic history that certain design choices carry with them, also just the accessibility concerns that come with making different graphic design choices, and when you're just logging onto canva.com and picking from pre-made templates, you don't know, like, none of that is going into what you're doing. You just take what looks cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's true, and it's, you know, we're not trying to say that, you know, graphic design should be accessible, people shouldn't be making graphics.
0: No, I dropped the fuck out of art school.
1: I mean, that's true, but also everyone should be able to have some creative pursuits and passions, we're not hammering against it, per se, but we are offering, like, pointed critiques of what are we exactly creating for, and, like, what is this void that will be this era of infographics I have little faith that this infographic moment is going to last and I think people are especially online are wanting genuine and more expansive content
0: yeah like that just goes back to the fact that I I understand why people are feeling the urge to create content in this way and create content that looks like it does but i also just think that the whole point of an infographic again it's to take large swaths of information and make it digestible and to make it like infographics are meant to be an information accessibility tool but the ways that they're being used right now are not they're making information still just selectively accessible mm-hmm. which i don't fuck with but also just going back to the idea of live laugh love and (laughs) aesthetic like aesthetic choices and the history of those aesthetic choices that people might just not be paying attention to I don't know I think about this post I saw the other day that was I'm looking at it right now and it's an infographic it's on a pink background with red text and it's Got hearts and it's got stars in the corners and it says why your mission trip is probably modern day colonialism. And on the next page, it uses a cutesy font, and the bullet points in which it talks about American exceptionalism and the white savior complex and colonialism. The bullet points that they use for those are hearts. And it's like there's there's so much to unpack here. Also, it has twenty five thousand likes.
1: That's true, and I wonder if that aesthetic disconnects from reality, you know, it's a form of disconnect, like a further disconnection from reality.
0: I think it's fully a disconnection from reality, because, I mean, and it's a full disconnect from reality, but it's also a full disconnect from the actual content of the post. Mm -hmm. You're talking about colonialism, which is like deeply violent and horrific, and you're turning it into a cute Instagram post. And you're also like, even further into this, not only is this talking about colonialism, which is a violent process, but it's talking about how mission trips are modern day colonialism. And it's doing the same thing that a mission trip does where it has this, I don't know, it's like mission trips are a form of colonialism that don't have a violent appearance and they have this, hmm, they appear as something good and and they're doing the same thing with the graphic. Like, they're talking about this actually terrible thing, but they're turning, they're aestheticizing it into something cute. So there's a huge disconnect there, is what I'm saying.
1: It, it definitely is. And then, you, then we have you know, Cottagecore, which is the most recent. I think it, it's interesting because some people have stated, like, plantation core and I'm like that's kind of oh, oh, you're, on, you're on something over there <laughs> I'm not saying completely but it's just interesting that certain fashion patterns are like aestheticizing certain dress wear which I'm not saying those dresses and etc people aren't shouldn't be wearing but you know it core too uh there's other forms of that in east asian especially in japan like different cultures too and just how you know a little house on the prairie people think a little house on a prairie but they don't it's kind of like a weird romanticization of that period of time especially for um (laughs) black and other marginalized people and how it weirdly centers whiteness because at that time that was the figurehead but it's interesting too that maybe the like in the way that I've seen a lot of black women wearing these dresses and how you know it's flipping it on its head you know just like taking that and just looking great and like hot and I think it really started with maybe white people just kind of like doing these things and how honestly it looks great on black people like everything does but (laughs) (laughs) but it's just you know you're sitting in a little um little patch of grass you have your wine you have your little your little um picnic date and you're like college and I'm like I don't know that's what that is but it's kind of that trend that people are seeing certain indicators of aesthetics and just calling it what it is so it becomes that
0: yeah oh I have so much to say about Cottage Core when I try to think about how Cottage Core came to be is I guess in my mind, I look at Cottage Core as being this white reaction in part, I think it has to do with late stage capitalism and impending ecological collapse, right? So there's this general i mean you can look at the like the green movement and the sustainable living movements and things like that, to there is this push to de-industrialize and go back to something different.
1: Go back in time, per se, in a time where it was better. Quotation marks.
0: <laughs> quotation marks, quotation marks. Right. And, but there's also, there's so much, I guess the way that I think about it is coming from someone who... There's two sides of the spectrum. And the thing, the one side of the spectrum is cottage core, Okay. And it's this cute, cute in quotes there. You know, manifest destiny, little house on the prairie core thing. Yeah. And then you have doomsday prepper core.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: And the origins of both are the same.
1: Explain how they're the same. Like, the origins.
0: Okay, doomsday prep core. there's a lot, there's a lot about do- doomsday prepping, but I think that, hmm, I guess in my mind, it's like, one is an active response to late stage capitalism and this impending ecological crisis, and that the active response is the doomsday prepping. It's oh the world is going to end and so I need to hone in on my survival skills and I need to I need to learn how to hunt and grow food and go back like go back to this quote-unquote like human nature like I need to learn how to survive
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and prepare for the worst
1: like rips off of indigenous cultures
0: right that's a whole other thing with cottagecore too, but cottagecore to me feels like a passive response to the same thing, where mm-hmm. instead of it being like, oh, I need to learn how to fend for myself.
1: It's it, like 1800s, like Jane Eyre, and then just reading a book by the candlelight, and they don't believe- really learning
0: like, how to bake bread, and-
1: I think I saw something on Twitter where they're like, the Amish people are like, the true cottagecore, or something. <laughs>
0: Shout out, uh, shout out Amish people.
1: It's so racist. Um, <laughs> but, so going to that, I think that's really interesting, because when some, you know, you see on Instagram, these people wearing these dresses, most of these dresses are from fast fashion. You know, you, you want to de-industrialize, and like, you lock off of Instagram, you're trying to have a good day, you're trying to reach to a time that doesn't exist anymore, but the clothes you're wearing are are fast fashion. You're you're still part of this, the industrialization is everywhere. So it's just interesting. And also I just see people just going to the random, like going to the cabin in the middle of the woods and just random. I'm just like, okay, I I think, I think y'all... And it's also just the same people who just stay, you know, there's that one era in Twitter where people are like, I want to go to, um, I want to go to a farm. I want to get away from the city. I want to go to a farm and start a farm and have a wife, which, you know, you lived on a farm and you're, yeah. You're, it's you're like life. <laughs> I feel
0: like that's all part of a larger, like, I guess that's where the passivity comes into me because it's like, you're literally never going to do those things. And also you can't take, The aesthetics of cottagecore are this soft, tranquil thing, and that's that's not what actually doing any of those things is going to be like. Like, you're not going to move out into the country and live off of the land and look cute doing it like that. Yeah, because it's dirty, hard work. Also, there's so much to unpack in the idea of, you know, white tender queers being like, oh, I want to go own a farm and have a wife and whatever mm-hmm. and but at the same time i don't know there's so there's so much that goes into the glamorization yeah. and idealization of farm work especially when so many of the f- people who are actively farm workers here in america are immigrants that are paid like slave wages and working like 13 14 hour days in the hot sun like right now in the middle of the summer to get you your cute ass fucking driscoll's strawberries for your cottage core picnic like oh
1: jeez, oh a cycle and then you go to the camp and the Graphic is college court. (laughs) It's everywhere. It's like you can't escape it. I don't know. I think in Instagram, there's no room to have multiple aesthetics to live at once. I think only one aesthetic reigns over everyone. And everyone follows that aesthetic. Versus like on Tumblr, like multiple aesthetics could live on the same block and you saw different types of waves of interactions, even though it was not the best, you know, most of it was really uh, (laughs) brainwashing. So a lot of this is brainwashing, you know, aesthetics is another form of, like you said, commercialization is another way of consuming. And, you know, going back to your, you know, these people want to believe there's an ethical way of, of, Buying and producing in capitalism, and you know, there's not really ethical ways of consuming or creating under capitalism. But you know, it's you have to sit with that and be okay with that, and knowing how to work for a better future. I think everyone gets caught up and either avoids or kind of victimizes the, themselves under capitalism because of the fact that you know they're a part of it. You know, you would, you know, mm. you have to understand that everyone has sins or everyone is imperfect, perfect. And that, you know, goes into language of transformative justice. But, you know, there's also a future where this will not be the norm, the norm, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, and that's also, that's another connection that I'm seeing. And back to my spectrum idea of doomsday preppers versus core people. Is that they're both this really individualistic responses to a crisis.
1: Right, not uh, collective or community-based.
0: Right, it's not like, Doomsday Preppers are like, I'm gonna fuck off and hide in the middle of the woods with my family. And I'm gonna fight anyone who comes to me for help. Mm -hmm. And... You know, on cottage course like, oh, I would just want to go live in the middle of nowhere, off of the land, with my wife, and it's.
1: And what is a what is a collective response to an ecological disaster or a dystopic future?
0: Right, and that just makes me think about Parable of the Sower and how, oh, yeah, yeah, and how that book is about
1: creating a community. Thoughts. in... Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's about a response to both, like, to ecological and political and societal, like, apocalypse. It's not, oh, I'm running out into the middle of the woods, and I'm gonna not talk to anyone, but it's, mm -hmm. like, how do I build a community that supports one another? Like,
1: I, yeah, and, you know, I want to thank our sponsor's Parable of the Sower uh, by Octavia Butler. (sighs)
0: So
1: I would push everyone to hear the audio a book of it. The audio book is really good. Um, and also I want to, you know, say our other sponsors, which is Canva, you know, the <laughs> college Canva. But, you know, it's also coming to the fact that everyone has faults and, you know, the future is hard to, it's hard, but it's better together. And how do you come to people with different amounts of harm and faults? And I think everyone you know in this radicalization moment is trying to e- either they're trying or they're not trying to hold space for other people in of harm i think a lot of people and just communities across the board you know especially in in america you know in the, in the western sphere how do you hold harm especially because harm has been erased for centuries and I think because of that, there's this brainwashing and also this uh, amnesia of harm.
0: Yeah, and that—I mean—I feel like that loops back to the conversation about cottagecore and about minimalist aesthetics and the Instagram design, Instagram graphic design comp. Like, it's all the same thing. Is it's this inability to reckon with history and histories of harm or just like negativity in the past and taking it's it's, i mean it's whitewashing it's taking things and sterilizing and not allowing for things to be in their like full self
1: kind of like their like natural authentic self
0: it's taking lots of information and boiling it down into something so much smaller than the whole like breadth of information like these these graphic design like complexes are doing but that's also just it's all minimalism
1: yeah and i think we're we're finally here in this (sighs) journey to get to minimalism which of course i have to like state that the white cube is top tier minimalism, and I think a lot of people <laughs> don't realize that. Um, and it's been around since 1960s, and it's really came from a whoops, a racist, <laughs> ableist, and classist person, <laughs> or just framework in general, and this lack of regard for artists of color and marginalized artists. So most of the times, artwork, you know, is really separated especially from, you know, artists of colors like just from communities of a color and really centered around communities of whiteness. It's top-tier sterilization. It's top-tier everything if you think about minimalism. It's very minimalism. It's strange how in the past couple of years how minimalism is, is getting a rise. I think about minimalism a lot in terms of my life and the stuff I have and how being poor if you think in response, you know, there's that show hoarders, which, you know, most of the people on the show work poor. <laughs> and mm-hmm. how in late capitalism, a lot of poor people rely on keeping objects so you don't have to buy a, uh, and continue to spend money and also new ways of DIY or, you know, sur- hacking per se capitalism and also providing things to your neighbors and being a a host, and also a, you know, care like someone that cares in your community, and you just give things away, and that's why you keep stuff because you may never know when someone needs it or if you need it. That fear.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really real thing. I don't, when you when you are living in a world that is so focused on material. The, the, I don't know that just like puts worth like material like financial worth into material objects and you don't have a lot of wealth and you don't have a lot of money like but you have a lot you have a lot of objects like you're going to hold on to those
1: yeah and a lot of things I'm seeing in response to fast fashion is to keep your clo- clothes for longer so it's but you know you're, you you really analyzing why do we keep buying things and most of the time when people, you know, you don't have to be a maximalist, you don't need to have so much stuff but it's good to keep the things that you have for longer periods of time. It's just the way that minimalism is, is a response to late capitalism. You know, I'm thinking minimalism as like the whitewashing of minimalism because minimalism is also in East Asian cultures too but for a different response but how the whiteness of minimalism within YouTube and also in this uh, space that is, you know, America. And how that really is trying to not, you're not trying to buy things. And that's really what it boils down to, trying to stop the buying of objects. So you're not participating in like not being ethical, but you know, there's, you have to just accept you're you're never going to be ethical in this lifetime and minimalism, I don't think it has to be as big as it is now, and I don't think, I think people are paying attention to it, because they're realizing how much stuff there is in the world, and how much environmentally that's bad for us, and how racially, and due to imperialism, and globalization, how that's also bad, and people were like, you know, we need to stop buying stuff, so maybe if I have less stuff, I don't need to buy stuff, and I'm like, I guess, but you know, there's ways to buy stuff from, like, actual people that make stuff, and secondhand stores, and also just keep your objects for longer. No one seems to care about that. So it's like, we care less about the things that we have, but we keep getting more stuff, and we we love it for, like, five seconds, and then we don't like it anymore, and we get more stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if what I have to say is, a co- like, a cohesive response, but just sort of what I'm thinking about with that is yeah the idea of buying less stuff or I don't know because I feel like in minimalism there's this like age-old argument that a lot of people who are into it advocate for buying higher quality things less frequently
1: Mm. so that you're
0: not having to buy things all the time and there's of course always the argument that well poor people can't fucking afford to buy a $200 pair of jeans. Right. Uh, Yeah, sure, they'll last for a really long time, but they could just go to the thrift store and buy five pairs of jeans for a couple bucks each and wear them until they fall apart, patch them up, wear them until the patches fall apart. And in the end, you're getting the same amount of life out of clothing but you're not paying two hundred dollars up front, and you're not having to manufacture a new pair of jeans. That's a whole other story.
1: Or even like making your own pair of jeans.
0: Yeah. Or that's just like that's a whole that's a whole hill I could die on about minimalism. But I don't know. I just
1: okay. But I think you said something. You know, minimalism relies on the capitalist notions of buy, like of of money. It without money, minimal middle- you know in the western idea of minimalism cannot exist because minimalism values quality objects
0: yeah and there's a whole i feel like there's two like strains of minimalism so there's like no like no waste or low waste minimalists which is yeah. one thing and i'll get back to that but then there's also the white guy I did a lot of psychedelics and read infinite jest and now I want to get rid of all of my material possessions and I'm going to become a minimalist now that's this egotistical minimalism where it's about it's about domination it's about Hmm. control it's about controlling your being almost more than human and controlling your impulses to buy things or to want things or to be attached to things Mm -hmm. and i feel like there's a lot you know either you go into a lot about how there's there's a lot of appropriation with the idea of being detached from material possessions where Mm -hmm. it's white guys who are looking to east asia and they're like oh i'm gonna take selectively some things from, like, Buddhism, right, and different things, and then turn it into this weird form of domination, of control over myself.
1: And then, you know, flipping it as cottagecore, you know, it's it's wellness, it's, like, self-help for you, but it's not therapy. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's self-help. It's like, oh, you can become, like, a better person, like, through Mm -hmm. this through being a minimalism and getting like getting rid of your things and getting back to what it means to be truly human quote unquote truly human or cottage core where you know I'm going to go back to live off of the land like me and my wife it's still both both of those things are coming from individualism it's not I'm going to become a better person or I'm going to get into a better place through through community care and mm-hmm. getting back to what it means to be quote-unquote truly human by actually responding to our natural like urges to be in community with one another but it's I'm still going to suppress that but make it cute yeah and
1: then also like the fact that with cottage cottagecore no one and most of the people who are white that does cottage sports, they don't analyze their relationships to land in the way that it's racialized, especially for Native Americans and then also uh, black people. And how the other side of minimalism how they're like oh i'm gonna be a better pe- person What is human you know they don't think about the racial the racialization of what it means to be human like who gets to be seen as human <laughs> and just valuing that if you have less stuff you're more human when mm- you know, most black people. You know, there's theories that say that you know black people are not seen as human. You know, what does that do? And I, you know, that conversation is really fueled within the art world uh, because the white cube is such a minimal space when you know, especially black artists and black people and bot, you know, are within that space. And also, our art objects are you know sold to the. Top one percent of the world, so like buying art is a form of minimalism because it's the most quality object in the world per se It's as if these objects, which are usually bought by white people, will make these white people seem more progressive and more human when it really these white people, their corporations, are causing the ecological disasters and also war crimes that are ending you know a lot of um people of color communities like lives devastatingly. It's mm. just like all fueled within it.
0: It's such a response to capitalism and globalization and all of these different things. And it's a it's a response that relies on it's on spending money. Yeah. It's not anti-capitalist. It's not like that's what I that's another that's what I wanted to get back to about the strain of like low waste ecological minimalists is this is a response that not always but urges people to uh, like act with your wallet or where you're urged to oh spend money on this brand that god and it's like so many of these low waste things are also all about minimalism and have these really minimalist aesthetics which that's i feel like a whole other conversation but you're pushed to oh spend your money with this brand that pays to offset their carbon or whatever like buy this sustainably made item and well Purchasing something that is sustainably made or manufactured is not inherently bad. Mm-hmm. It is just this response to like impending ecological collapse and doom. Spend money about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when actually the response, the needed, the necessary response to pending ecological collapse is that oh, capitalism is fueling this. So we need to get the fuck rid of capitalism. But that's that's another thing where. I don't know. I think a lot about going back to the conversations about hoarding and about Mm -hmm. like poor people, how, because I grew up with no money, like my response to when I want to buy new clothes or I want to buy new anything isn't, I'm going to go buy this sustainably made t-shirt. It's like, no, I'm going to go to the thrift store or I'm going to try and find something secondhand Mm-hmm. And anytime I want to get a new thing, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go on Craigslist. Like, I'm going to check the Craigslist free section. I'm going to check Facebook Marketplace. I'm going to look at all of these different places. I'm going to drive around my neighborhood and try and find a desk sitting outside so I can have furniture. Like, yeah. yeah which I'm- is like secondhand, and that's reducing. Like, I'm taking someone else's waste and I'm, I'm you know, back to reduce, reuse, recycle. I don't yeah. know how I'm not having to spend any money
1: yeah and I think same was like that idea because my sister she buys she used to buy clothes online you know fashion over and stuff, and she recently has stopped, you know because the clothes fall apart, they honestly fall apart they're not they don't last, and you're spending forty dollars thirty dollars on this thing. That you know is pushed through like Instagram and stuff. You know she is using second-hand hand sites more, um, but you know she doesn't like going out into stores. So it's just especially with COVID and everything, how mm-hmm. the thrift stores are going to be either online, which would be interesting, or you know it's not Depop like someone selling out of their home, but like thrift shopping online, which is interesting. But you know how pandemics, how that shifts how we shop secondhand and what that is going to do in the future. And how can we assure that these stores, because a lot of thrift stores have closed during the pandemic, how do we keep this going? Because in the future, you know, if there's more, you know, the idea you know these pandemics are going to happen closer and closer and closer and again and again and again it's like well the thrift stores essentially cease to exist because they they can't stay open they literally will not have money because they need people to be inside of it and how a lot of people don't have internet because internet costs money (laughs) and you know you see this like cycle of you know it's going to go online or you know their stores are going to be very, very hard to find. It's going to make it hard for poor people. It as it is, or it already makes. Uh, Depop has made you know the gentrification of their shops have made it hard for poor people to shop at their their stores. It's going to be interesting how minimalism in general is going to how it's going to evolve or how, especially college score. I think people are going to get like, people are not going to care about college core, Like later on this year, it's going to be like, it's going to be a thing and it's going to be over, but
0: how in. It'll like run its course once people, you know, everyone planted a quarantine garden or learned how to quarantine bake. And eventually they'll get sick of it. We'll be like, yeah. all right, you know, baking bread's like whatever. Yeah, oh, it's, it's like, actually it's be, really hard to make a garden work.
1: Yeah, and it's gonna be cold outside. You're not gonna be sitting in a dress in uh twenty degree weather and you're gonna be like, it's gonna be snowy and you're gonna be like sipping tea, or like cottage court, like no, they're not gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what's gonna be the I wonder what's gonna what quarantine's gonna look like. During December, <laughs> I want to know, or even January. Like it's gonna like when the snow and everything's gonna be really cold. I bet it's gonna be like a really bad one this year too. It's gonna be like, <laughs> what's gonna look like? I don't know. Like, is there really gonna be any trends besides people just being sad because they they didn't do anything? And they
0: still I wonder like, if like car hearts have already been have already been taken, but like, right? I think the next is long johns are going to be the next top fashion item.
1: Oh, yeah, I bet, because did you see the construction wear last year? <laughs> like, People
0: gonna be putting on some long johns and be like, wow, these are really warm, this quarantine winter.
1: I know, my dad has his same pair of long johns for decades. It's mm. just like... <laughs> I was just like, it's great, you know? It's just like, that's one of the best inventions, you know? That's one of my
0: favorite parts every year about when it gets cold enough outside for me to wear my long johns under my jeans, and then I come home, and I take my jeans off, (laughs) and then I just, I'm done. I'm wearing my long johns, and I'm warm, and I'm walking around the house, and now I'm not even, you know, gonna have the jeans part of it. I'm just gonna be wearing long johns.
1: Yeah, I usually just wear, like, tights or leggings under, like, I started doing that, like, fall and winter, and I just, like, wear leggings when I get home. I just like being warm. I hate being cold, like, super cold. I hate being cold. It's, like, a bad sensation for me. But, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting how all of this is just all about money and also, like, the validation of spending money you know you want to feel good for having a minimalist life you know you're you're bougie you know (laughs) you're better than other people you have some savings because you don't spend it on frivolous thing and how like validation and surveillance really fuels our like valid like our like idea of other people and our idea of of ourselves but you know that's going to be on our set or our next episode so stay tuned
0: is there anything else I mean, I feel like we could just keep going on and on and on about this, but is there anything else, any maybe closing statements or things to say about this?
1: You know, we said a lot. I think for me, it's really about the aestheticization of information. And as someone who likes to think about going into like deeper into graphic design and really focus on coding um, and accessibility. I hopefully believe in a future where the internet can be a place of more accessibility because right now it's not. It's like really deterring the other way and I hope for the day that a lot of people who are disabled just decide to make their own social media app. That you know has captions that has all like that has all these things already but i think the most annoying thing i really hope the tinder queer instagram graphic complex just dies i just i just hate it it's just like what was that halsey uh i'm blue and you're red and now we're purple and it's just like now it's like oh the prison industrial complex and racial capitalism now i need to think transformative justice that's literally what's happening (laughs) and i hate it so much so i hope you know everyone try tries to find more genuine content and i think that is in the form of podcast audiobooks and youtube
0: Mm. i don't necessarily have uh predictions or things to say about graphic design necessarily but I do think that well aesthetics are aesthetics are important like you can't just sort of ignore them especially when we're a very visually driven culture Aesthetics aren't everything, but there's also, you know, an inherent politics to different kinds of aesthetics and what's considered a good aesthetic or a professional aesthetic or what makes aesthetics good and valued is inherently political and inherently tied to racism and anti-Blackness and colonialism. And it's all these things, are it's all interconnected. You can't separate aesthetics from that. And I just wish that people would focus less on aestheticizing information and more on digesting and practicing said things that they're aestheticizing things can look a certain way things can look really pretty and nice but that's not what's important you know looks aren't everything
1: Oh, looks aren't everything you're snapping right
0: now, and you know even with even with minimalism and all of those different things, ethics and ethical choices and all of those things like it's not an aesthetic it's actual like things that you're doing i i don't know i don't know what I'm trying to say
1: yeah, I think you're just saying like be authentic, learn how to be authentic. You know, we lost ourselves, but I think we can get back to ourselves. And I think a lot of people are figuring that out on YouTube. I think people are figuring that out on podcasts, definitely. And I think people are figuring that out, you know, especially authors, you know, expanding their content onto audiobooks and also on ebooks and all that stuff. Yeah, I think that is where I think that could really shift how we think about what is content and what people want i think right now everyone want like people want genuine content now and less because i've seen like a shift on youtube like people want less uh thrift hauls like they they want less like fashion Nova hauls. they don't want people just to be spending money because people don't have money they they just want someone to you know give them a perspective that you know could shape their day um and that's really hard to do But you know, Mm. that's where you know our next episode. I'm about to say I'm
0: having so many ping-ponging thoughts. Like
1: I know when we talk about surveillance capitalism, validation, identity through surveillance, and brand I you know brand personas. So that yeah,
0: and like notions of authenticity also is something that could really be dug into. And I'm thinking about YouTube shifts with like. Bon Appetit and all the shit that's still happening around Bon Appetit.
1: Yeah, so for (laughs) our next episode, you know, subscribe to our Spotify, Apple podcast, you know, continue to follow our Instagram, we'll continue to update y'all about our, uh, our musings, and if we ever make a meme again, and we'll cut you on the flip side.
0: Yeah, we'll, uh, and, you know, we'll keep talking even if no one's listening.
1: Oh, that's true. You know,
0: because,
1: <laughs> you know, we're not going to make an infographic about it, but it'll be... I am going
0: to make the cover art for this episode on Canva.
1: Facts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, y'all. T T Y L.
1: Oh, T T Y L.